1: Good morning, my dear friends, to all our dear audience on KNUS 710 AM or via podcast. I welcome all of you. This morning, we shall interact first by waking up, praising God. If you're sad, allow God to put a joy, a smile on your face. If you're married, give a good and warm greeting to your wife or to your husband. Give a good warm morning hug or welcome to your children and to all those who live with you. And do me a favor. It's okay to turn on your radio at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning and contact friends so they can join in as well. Next, of course, let us warm up the day by being nice to each other and by being nice to the Lord. This is Father Andre, and good holy Sunday morning with God. I am learning more and more to render to God, and He will do everything for you. This has been always uh, a motto of the divine will. For our listeners who do not know what is the divine will, it is the will of God. And what's the difference between the divine will and the human will? Well, in our freedom as human beings, it seems when we were supposed to make good choices, sometimes we fail. We make bad choices. Yet in every time we wanna justify ourselves, we say, it's the free will. Till today, actually, if you come to think about it, I'm not sure if it's a blessing or if it's at our detriment, to our detriment, that every time humanity tries to boast about something, we boast, we say, I have a free will. And that's what we consider the difference between us and the rest of whoever is in this creation, especially animals. We might say they have instincts, but they don't have a free will. However, in his free will, God has willed everything good for us. In his free will, he has willed to love us, to create us, to save us, to cover us, to forgive us. He doesn't only create us innocent, but when we sin, when we go astray, when we are attacked, When we are unjustly treated persecuted killed murdered led to the slaughter like sheep we do not open our mouth or when we suffer tremendous amount of trauma or fears or loneliness or poverty when we lack our basic needs it seems that god's divine will comes to us to our rescue and it is the perfect will it comes to save us from darkness It comes to save us from the enemies. It comes not only to keep our innocence, but if we lose it, it restores our innocence. And even if we die, God not only has given us life, but God restores us to life. And because we suffer, God restores us to life eternal. where there is a peace, there is accord, there is a beauty, there is a joy, and there is him. We live in the divine will of God. So today, for those who have their Bibles, <clears throat> I would love for you to open your Bibles on Psalm 37, Psalm 37. It is the lot of the wicked and the good. Remember that this Psalms, Psalm 37 corresponds a little bit, or it's a reminder of the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes that we pray in the Gospel of St. Matthew, Chapter 5. The Gospel of St. Matthew, Chapter 5. So if you open and you pray Psalm 37, and next to it, you open the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So now, we're going to pray together this beautiful psalm, Then we go on with our guest. God, come to my assistance. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning is now and will be forever amen surrender to god and he will do everything for you do not fret because of the wicked do not envy those who do evil for they wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green of the fields if you trust in the lord and do good then you will live in the land and be secure if you find your delight in the lord He will grant your heart's desire. Commit your life to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act so that your justice breaks forth like the light, your cause like the noonday sun. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was is now and will be forever. Amen. Good Holy Sunday morning, my dear friends. It's a special day. I was at a religious summit in Washington, D.C., speaking about international religious freedom. You know our theme that we are developing through the summer is about the the Christians. And now that we are entering into a very dangerous phase in Nigeria, it seems, where more priests, more pastors, more communities are being desecrated, churches being burned and destroyed, families and children, women, are being led to the slaughter or to sex slavery camps and priests are being kidnapped and murdered. People are being stoned for their faith. I have with me a wonderful guest. She grew up in the monastic tradition of the Franciscan order, lived as a nun, and then after she left the, the convent of the Franciscans, she decided to dedicate herself to the work of the Lord. And after an experience, in many various places, on a level of being working in the Papal Embassy in Washington, D.C., working in the Vatican with Pope Francis during his first year. She now, in fact, is the Legislative and Diplomatic Relations Liaison to a wonderful organization, the Vulnerable People's Project. And the Vulnerable People Project is one of the fronts that tell us about the crisis of conscience, the crisis of poverty, the crisis of the weak people, the people who in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, in Africa, in many places in the world, who might need our help. And after she had left her uh, monastic tradition life, she still is in love with the Lord. She still uh, practices her daily prayers, her daily adoration. Um, Mary-Lise Panero, Pinheiro. Pinheiro. Good Holy Sunday morning to you.
2: Good morning, Father. I'm so happy to be here.
1: I want to ask you, first of all.
2: Yes.
1: Um, people people may not know. This is only one episode from many episodes of Ligaratu. I feel a privilege. We hear the name of Archbishop Vigano many times. Mm-hmm. But I never probably know people who actually work with Archbishop Vigano. Yes. You were in the secretaria, you worked in the, as a nun, you worked in the actual papal embassy. We call it apostolic nunciatura, nunciatura here in Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. You look 14 years old, but you're 30s. You're in your 30s. I'm in my 30s. You should see her. She looks very young, by the way. And it's it's a privilege to have you on the show.
2: I still get carded.
1: (laughs) You still get carded. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your personal vocation, first of all.
2: Yeah, so I uh, was born and raised in New York City, cradle Catholic, Roman Catholic. My mother is from the Philippines, and she really um, instilled the faith in my life and me, my brother and sister, from a very young age. My grandmother, my maternal grandmother, played a huge role in my life, my earliest um, memories, are of praying the rosary with my grandmother and going to daily mass with her. So the faith and Catholicism has always been a big part of who I am. And I've always personally felt like I had a personal relationship with Jesus, even from a very young age, was just drawn to prayer. Um, and I understand now as an adult, that that's a special grace, I think, because it's not really something that you hear people, you know, that people experience regularly. Um, but yeah, from, from a very young age, I always, always felt drawn to prayer and to intimacy with the Lord.
1: mary what well, I want to ask you, um, you did a wonderful eight years of formation and experiences as a sister. Yeah. I do believe in the Franciscan order, right?
2: Yeah, so when I was um, in college, I went to Catholic University of America here in Washington, D.C. I discerned religious life and actually ended up dropping out of college to enter the convent. Ended up finishing my degree later, but um, yeah, left everything behind. You know, when when Jesus says in the Gospels, "Come and follow me," I did that right away.
1: And you do, and you do legislative and diplomatic liaisons and relations, basically. Yeah. Um, for the vulnerable people's projects.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Can you explain to us what is the vulnerable people's project?
2: Yeah, so after I discerned out of religious life, came back to the world, was working, um, and began working with a nonprofit organization, the Vulnerable People Project. And our mission is to promote the human dignity and um, inspire solidarity. So essentially, we do this in a variety of ways. We run influence campaigns um, to be a voice for the voiceless, to really stand in solidarity with the vulnerable and the persecuted, Um, and that can really cover a variety and a wide range, but we say, you know, it's from the child in the womb, Um, so we're a very pro-life organization. Our founder, Jason Jones, has been a pillar in the pro-life movement. He's... An incredible man. I'm not just saying that because I work for him. He really is just um, always fighting for the least of these. And so, yeah, anywhere from, um, you know, fighting for the child in the womb and their right to life to the child in dark war. And we work do a lot of work in Afghanistan with the persecuted in Afghanistan, and especially since the United States pulled out of Afghanistan, we're very much um, adamant about remaining there and helping to um, evacuate and resettle those who need to get out. We're going to talk about all of that
1: um, on this show and uh, hopefully next episode as well. You know, our theme in the summer is uh, the persecuted Christians. Mm -hmm. This is Denver, Colorado. This is uh, the mountains of the U.S., Rocky Mountains. Um, I'm honestly very proud of the interest the people in Colorado are having towards this subject. We have met with uh, many organizations. We have told many stories. But um, I do have a heart for Ukraine. I do have a heart for the orphans in Ukraine. Um, One of my former assistants in the Mission of Hope and Mercy, her and her husband, they actually had studied the Ukrainian case and they were helping orphans since 1990. After, immediately after 1989, the wall fell. Yeah. You know, they were one of the first people who actually went to Ukraine and they started helping orphans. And she would she, she always told me, Ukraine has an orphan issues. There is lots of orphans in Ukraine. Yeah,
2: Why that.
1: there is a lot of orphans in Ukraine? And this is a prior yeah. to, to Russia and, and, and the current Ukrainian-Russian crisis. Why there is a lot of orphans in Ukraine?
2: You know, I don't have a solid answer to that question. I I think that's always been a big problem, like you said, Ukraine has had. Um, Russia has a a large problem for them as well. Um, It's actually why we got involved with the war in Ukraine. Initially, we thought, oh, my goodness, there's so many organizations already in Ukraine, but people are requesting, you know, our help. Um, you were
1: in a Vatican, you were yeah. playing in a piazza of St. Peter with Pope mm-hmm. Francis. I was very... It was, it was March 25th. See, yeah. I remember, I remember yeah. the story, and Pope Francis was doing the world consecration of Russia yeah. and Ukrainian people to the Immaculate Heart of the Virgin mm-hmm. Mary at the request of Our Lady of Fatima. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as you say, many Catholics would, would, would be familiar with such a, yeah. a spiritual context, but we are uh, with the evangelical world and Christian world, it was a spiritual event in which um, the Pope said... I want to consecrate these two lands for the prayer of peace, for the will of God. And you were there. And then something happened. Tell us what happened.
2: Yes, it was a very providential, only something God could have done. I was, um, like you said, Father, at the consecration of Russia and Ukraine with the founder of my organization, Jason Jones. And um, we were in the Piazza of St. Peter's. I wanted to introduce Jason with my former mother superior, who I'm still very close with, even though I'm no longer in the convent. And uh, we're standing out there, we're just, you know, catching up or making introductions when another sister of the, from a different order, the servants of the Lord and the Virgin Matera, came up to mother and she said, you know, they knew each other, so they're greeting each other. And she said, please pray for my sisters in Ukraine. I don't know what kind of help they need, but I know they need help. And we've had a lot of trouble reaching them. And this was in the beginning of the war, towards the beginning. So everything was still very chaotic. And... um mother looked at Jason and I, and she said, I know who can help you. And she introduced Jason and myself to the the other sister's name was Sister Mercy. And from then on, she gave me the, the one sister, she had her contact information in Ukraine, gave me her phone number and her contact information. And we were able to find her in Ukraine, she had, they had left their original, uh, their convent was in Ivano-Frankivs, which is one of the places the Russians first started attacking. And so they had fled um, to the Hungarian border, but we didn't know exactly where they were. So um, we are currently collaborating with another organization in Ukraine called Solve Care. We just opened our 10th shelter with them. And thankfully, uh, somebody at Soft Care was able to send their shelter director in search of the sisters, and they found the sisters, found the sisters on the Hungarian border. And the sisters being, you know, the beautiful brides of Christ that they are, said, we don't need much. We're really okay, but we want to help the orphans. This is
1: Good Sunday Morning with uh, Father Andre. was just are listening uh, um, to uh, Mary-Lise uh, Piñero. Uh, she is the executive director of uh, the Vulnerable Peoples Project, and she's the legislative and diplomatic relations liaison as well. Um, we're talking about now, we got to the point, the sisters, not only you found them, but they said, please help us with the orphans. Mm-hmm. And now we get to the actual um, the beauty of the miracle. What happened mm-hmm. after that? You know, I used to take um, a pride. I said, m- me as, as as a priest, and I'm under a lot of persecution and, mm-hmm. and heat, and I asked the Lord to, upli- to lift it away from me by God's grace. And my team, um, we all took privilege. We were able in this past year to feed about 75,000 individuals. Wow. And I I I heard you saying that your first shot, you went up, and I'm not sure if it's in Afghanistan or in Ukraine, but you fed 400,000 families in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And I was showing you the amount of beautiful food baskets we put in the Mission of Hope and Mercy, and you showed me the shopping list you furnished. Their home on the run. You give them a kitchen, basically. You give them yeah. a kitchen, a pantry, enough for four months mm-hmm. per per family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so tell us, what what is the orphan situation?
2: So thanks to the sisters in Ukraine, we were able to get a better understanding of the current situation with what was happening with the orphanages and the orphans um, in Ukraine. And and initially, essentially, what they what, what they told us was. Program directors or orphanage directors abandoned, yeah, they just abandoned the children, put them on trains, or just abandoned the orphanages altogether so the children were left to fend for themselves. And this is really just a cesspool for human traffickers. And as far as the Vulnerable People Project goes, we always try to reach the most vulnerable during times of immense persecution war, chaos. And it's almost seeking who needs help that might fall through the cracks, you know, um and and essentially we saw that these orphans were in danger of being human trafficked, specifically between the ages of thirteen through nineteen. Once they turn sixteen in Ukraine, we are told that they age out of the system and so they're really left to fend for themselves. And Jason and I saw this to be a great problem and, and you know, how can we my our tiny organization, how can an organization as small as ours help with this problem? And it's really been this is how you know God's hand is very much at play because what we've been able to accomplish, like I said, we just opened our 10th shelter and essentially what our shelters provide um, housing, food, medical care for women and children and orphans as well. And specifically orphans, like I said, that would are, are very much in danger of human trafficking, but also orphans who have special needs, Down syndrome, autism, um, all kinds of disabilities that would you know, in, in many ways just be forgotten.
1: You know, uh, it reminds me, uh, just my friends, um, keep your morning light, pray for these orphans. I just want to tell you this is in Ukraine alone. Uh, we are talking, I do not know if the population is over uh, 33 million to 35 million or 45 million as a population, but you have about over 100,000 orphans, you know, distributed over 650 orphanage places, and most of them were abandoned, actually. Even more and, now. And that's what I was going to say. This is before the U- Ukrainian-Russian um, uh, crisis, and remember that with the Ukrainian-Russian crisis, between two and a half million to five million women and the children women and the children mm-hmm. ran away from ukraine because men, male figures could not leave ukraine if they are 16 years old or 17 years old and older mm-hmm. as you heard marily saying they dropped them out of the system basically but they, mm-hmm. they, they they the ukrainian government required that males stay back in the country and they fight so imagine how many people we have millions of people running And, of course, as she said, this is a pretext for lots of human trafficking, sex trafficking, child abuse, uh, uh, abortions. And and God help us. God help us what's happening. We need you to pray. How about we take a moment and, again, surrender Ukraine to God and ask Jesus Christ to take care of Ukraine. Please take that moment, light a candle with us on the show. We will continue to converse with uh, mary Lise, um on, on your behalf. Um, people in Ukraine, these orphans, were confounded in a Soviet style. Mm-hmm. And the Soviet style, basically, they become forgotten. Yeah. They become not remembered. Mm-hmm. and. Um, they don't have high skill to teach the kids or to entertain them, but I'm sure the, the the nuns were taking care of the orphanages in a different way, in a more modern way.
2: Very much, and the and the sisters really, in many ways, serve as mothers. You know, they're the sisters. Um, thanks to the gift of spiritual motherhood that they're able to give, um, really take. these children as if they're their own, and without the sisters' guidance in, you know, suggesting that we help the orphans, I don't know if we would have um, been able to think of that ourselves, Of like, how can we, you know, let's open shelters for orphans in need, Um, and thankfully, in collaboration with the sisters, the servants of the Lord and the Virgin Matara, and um solve care we've been able to provide care for orphans and also for women you know who've had to flee who no longer have homes the elderly as well are in our shelters um many children many many children
1: i want to i want to ask you something about the uh, um, um of these orphanages mm-hmm. The do talked talk to you about the auditing system of, of these orphanages. there are specific rules conditions and it seems that most of these orphans are institutionalized. Yes. Yeah. So they are run ran by the government almost.
2: Yes, they are. And the government, the Ukrainian government has very strict laws in place as far as even adoption goes. You know, okay. like not anybody can just walk in and say, I want to adopt a, an orphan.
1: So why there has not been improvements if most of these orphans were institutionalized, meaning they were run by the government or under direct government supervision?
2: I think because the war... I don't know if they were quite expecting it to happen as quickly or as um, the way it did when, when uh, the Russians first started attacking in February um, earlier this year. And it just caused a whole slew of panic. And the shelling, the bombing was happening daily. It wasn't sporadic. It was happening constantly and daily. And so, I mean, I can't even imagine. I've never thankfully lived through a war but I can't imagine what that would be like of all of a sudden your entire world being turned upside down and you're suddenly having to flee. I mean, I'm you know, you go into survival mode. From what I've been told, we went, Jason and I went to the border of Ukraine in April and it was this panic of like we need to flee, just go from um, – was where a lot of this was happening. They were heading towards Lviv, towards the Polish border. And so this sense of panic, you know, and, and when you're in a panicked state like that, you, there's no logical thinking. You're just trying to survive or do your best to survive.
1: I want to tell our listeners... Um, be, be before we conclude this episode, we can have another episode um, about the, the beautiful work of Marylise and her relationship, and uh, when she worked for Archbishop Vigano. So be ready, um, my friends. Um, Archbishop Vigano, the bishop who is in hiding, the bishop who is very vocal about uh, the nation's fight and war against the church and the, the, the problems that are inside the Catholic Church as well, and his stance from uh, you know the, the vaccines and the virus um, and um, um, all of these uh, issues. Um, Mary Lee's actually worked with him, lived with him, stayed with him um, in the embassy in Washington, D.C. We will have a full episode covering her work with Archbishop Bigano. And this is the same person. She worked also with the Pope Francis and traveled with him for one full year. She was assigned into the Vatican um, in 2013-14 when first uh, Pope Francis was elected and she would travel with him as well. So this is a person who knows both persons who are on the Fight. They represent the, the, the both uh, poles of the Catholic Church. So one with Archbishop Vigano, the other one was Pope Francis. But we get, without getting into the detail, I want to get your attention to follow us uh, next Sunday morning, as we also will be doing an interview with Mary Lee about um, the character of these two beautiful leaders and um, w- what can she have, w- what can she tell us about them. The last question I want to ask you, and we have about a minute. Um, your work with the orphans is one of the areas where vulnerable people are.
2: Yeah.
1: who else do you define as vulnerable people, vulnerable people that we need to be aware of? now East?
2: So the persecuted, obviously persecuted Christians, that's a big large group, women, um especially in the Middle East, are being persecuted in Afghanistan. They're not allowed to even study at all. Um, the elderly, the child in the womb, obviously in danger of abortion. Yeah. This
1: is beautiful. My dear friends, um, you have heard Pinero, um, Pinheiro, um, a beautiful executive director of the Vulnerable People's Project, a wonderful ministry that we met together in the uh, uh, International Religious Freedom Summit, like-minded organization um, that we are looking forward to collaborate and to work with in the um, mission of hope and mercy. Um, we want to pray at the end of this we want to pray again with psalm 37 i want you all um, to be still before the lord and wait in patience do not fret at the man who prospers a man who makes evil plots to bring down the needy and the poor calm your anger and forget your rage do not fret it only leads to evil for those who do evil shall perish the patient shall inherit the land a little longer and the wicked shall have gone look at his place he is not there but the humble shall own the land and enjoy the fullness of peace may we all surrender to god who will do everything for us and may
0: we all enjoy and be covered by the peace of our lord and savior jesus christ amen Thanks for joining us today for Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre. Father Andre and his team rely on your prayers and generosity to help feed over 5,000 families in Lebanon every month. Go to missionofhopeandmercy.org to learn more. Your support helps buy supplies from local farms and factories, employ truckers to ship the food, all to let these families know they are not forgotten. Go to missionofhopeandmercy.org and donate today. And join us next week at 9.30 a.m. for Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.